0: Bracken and Bell together.
1: There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now this will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen.
2: Cooper puts it in with. Well, suddenly it's become a rout.
1: Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. Hello, and welcome to what we're legitimately able to call, for the first time in a while, this week's edition of the Here We Go podcast. And joining us this week, we're delighted to welcome back Phil McDonald. Phil, you obviously threw at Fur Park yesterday. Are you able to confirm or deny whether you're the guy photographed after one of Don's goals displaying your moves to the Motherwell supporters?
2: <laughs> sadly, uh, I, well, maybe not sadly, I can confirm that was not me. The public does not need to see what is under my t shirt. <laughs>
1: And uh, with well, us as usual is Martin Glynis. Uh, Martin, how are you? Have you bought a <laughs> microphone yet? That's that's the burning question here.
0: Of course I haven't, Richard.
1: Good, because as we've discussed before, that's the dividing line between podcast wankers and mere wankers who do a podcast. We sit proudly in the second category there. Okay, two games and two wins to rattle through this week, so let's dive firstly into Wednesday's win over Park Thistle in uh, whatever the League Cup's called this season. And um, so after the win against Hearts playing three-five-two, we opted for that shape again. Now, Phil, last year's dalliance with three-five-two was a product of circumstances, those circumstances being that we couldn't win under uh, 4-2-3-1. <laughs> uh, um, it's not that we couldn't win this season, but it, it certainly wasn't going entirely swimmingly. And um, it feels like, again... It almost kind of as a solution to what had happened before, we've been bounced into three-five-two again. We did abandon mm-hmm. it very early last season at the first sign of things going wrong. Do you think this time round, this is going to be a longer-term solution for Jim Goodwin?
2: Well, I mean, if you told me at the start of the season that we'd find some of our, our best form playing with three at the back, I would have laughed you out of the room. But I think it will stick, just based on what I've seen so far. We seem comfortable. I think it brings out the best in... The defense we're still conceding goals, but we're not. We don't look as vulnerable at the back. I think, judging by how we're playing and or certainly how we're playing yesterday, having McCrory at the back give us gives us that extra protection, particularly when you've got Richardson, who spends a lot of his time going forward, and also, I think it's bringing out the best in Stewart as well. Um, he looks absolutely solid Uh, I know we're talking about the the Partick game first but yesterday I thought he was he was outstanding so I, I think it will stick just based on the the results that we've seen so far
1: Martin, with regards to Jim Goodwin's personal history with this formation, he started out, um, I think last season, possibly the season before. Uh, obviously, um, actual fact checking is not something we're strong on in this podcast. Um, we start. He started out using three-five-two, and that was going to be his big tactical switch. And then again, they had a terrible start to the season, and he abandoned it. So I guess it's good to be flexible. It's good to have those options. It does seem to be solving some of the issues that we had, particularly. Full back, wing back wise.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I do wonder that you know the the move to the move to three five two is has basically came about because he's, he's he's found himself with full backs that are are better going up the pitch, um, which I think you know is you know anybody can see that. Um, so we you know we've 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 said pretty much every time we've done this podcast um, since we've seen um, Jaden Richardson that he's not a right back. Um so it it makes sense that we're going to try and do something to fit the fit the personnel we've got. It seems to be that this is working. I mean it's with all due respect, here it goes. You no, know, it, it's it's partic it, and you no, know, it's a formation that I think you can you, you can you can certainly get away with against some so called weaker teams. Um teams that aren't going to give you too much of a too much of a challenge going forward. Um whether he sticks with it, it'd be interesting to see whether he sticks with it against some of the more the more seasoned, shall we call it, you know, Premier League teams. Because um, I, I thought it was quite interesting that, I mean, I think we did expect them to maybe go with go with something a little bit more, with a little bit more intent um, on Wednesday against Partick, to be honest.
1: Yeah, with that caveat, obviously, Partick were top of the uh, First Division at that point, so would have presented a reasonable challenge, although I see they got horsed at home yesterday with Queen's Park. Um It was fairly expansive. It was also quite expansive at Fur Park. It was the same. The fullbacks were pushed up. Obviously, we'll come to a discussion on Fur Park and we'll speak specifically about Mackenzie and Richardson. Certainly, I think we've had a discussion on here about whether we were really getting the end product, the attacking end product from the fullbacks so far at the pitch. Were they actually impacting our forward play? You can you can't argue that on, sat- on Saturday or indeed on Wednesday when Hayden Coulson had the absolute run of the left-hand side of the pitch. And it's him that was um, key to the first goal, um, Phil. And it was um cult hero already, in fact, fast making his way towards full hero status, Luis Lopez, who opened the scoring.
2: Yeah, it was brilliant. I think it, it summed up really just the excitement that we're seeing this season compared to last season because... Coulson in particular I think has been fantastic I've really enjoyed watching him whenever I've managed to get to a game uh, or if I've been following it on streams and I think the new just to go back to 3-5-2 I actually think having that three at the back is working better for him because having scales a bit f- more wide is giving Coulson that freedom to drift inside the pitch and that, that obviously made the difference on Wednesday with the first goal and he's so good with the ball at his feet you know clearly very comfortable passing as well you know moving forward so i think it was a real you know it showed just the quality he has and obviously duke we're learning quickly as you know he's a class finisher so you know really really encouraging from that side of things
1: martin coulson in the first half on wednesday it was mental frankly as a guy who i thought was coming in this is a, a fairly solid left back option just seeing his impact further up the pitch was a real eye-opener
0: it, it was um like we've seen we've seen bits from him so far uh, this season you know it, and you know we've maybe been a little bit critical of some of his defensive stuff but going forward there's definitely been you know has been a player there um but Wednesday just was I think one of those games where everything he almost everything he tried went right for him um and again when you, when you're coming up against a you know a so-called weaker opposition from a lower lower division. Um, you can maybe exploit that you know i mean i i don't know if maybe um the manager had had, had realised that that was their can kind of, they could be gotten at down that side of the pitch uh, but, but yeah just coulson was just, just sensational and with a bit of luck you know a bit of luck if he can keep that sort of form going and um, that's exactly what we need from him because if we're going to be playing 352 as well you desperately need somebody like that who can get up and down the wing you know we'd obviously you know, we've got we've got you no know, an absolutely you know spoilt for choice with wingers and attacking attacking options at the moment. Oh, but that's, cool the so-
1: other, that's the other thing about the 3-5-2, five two, isn't it? That
0: yeah you, you
1: know, we bought wingers coming out of our ears and we'll speak about this a bit more when we well we can bring it into it, that discussion now because obviously Ryan Duncan came on in the second half and scored a very good goal. But you know you've got him and then you've got um Roberts who's obviously out injured at the moment um, you've got uh, the lad they signed from Fleetwood as well um, Bezowie can presumably play wide as well I mean you've got all these guys who are bought to fill all those wide attacking midfield positions and if we're going to stick with three-five-two, a lot of them look out in the cold
0: well I think it just you know you obviously have to have options uh, but it, it does seem to see that we've got we've got too much at the moment um and if, if he is going to stick with 3 5 2, then we've definitely got too much. Let's like say, I think Bazaarwin can go in the middle. Um if you're going to pack a midfield, I mean you would have maybe you would have i you would have one less defensive midfielder, so you could maybe play one of your attacking options instead. Um but it does seem that you know, he's 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 brought in players with the idea of sticking with a certain formation, and now he's found a new one which seemed to be They'll seem to be overloaded, which I think we knew we were overloaded anyway. Um, but
1: yeah, and equally under-resourced at centre half, which yeah. is only exacerbated by playing three centre halves.
0: Yeah,
2: I think it's actually uh, just to raise a point point on this. I think it's horses for courses as well, because yesterday, for example, that wasn't the game for Vinny Mazzola to play in, because I think particularly watching him away from home, he has a tendency to get he doesn't get much of the ball and, you know, he's not the most physical of players, so he, that clearly wasn't a game for him yesterday, so to be able to bring on a different kind of winger, um, and I suppose Ryan, you know, going to Wednesday, I think it was good to see Ryan Duncan get minutes, because I think he's a very different kind of winger to to Bazowin, for example, you know, he's got the height advantage, he's got a good frame, he's clearly very powerful running forwards, whereas Bazowin obviously offers that trickery and that you know creative spark that we've that we need as well so it's good to have these options there
1: but i suppose overall that's the message isn't it we knew it was a slightly imbalanced squad and it's just been exacerbated if 352 is going to become the key for the main formation and it possibly means a slightly larger tweaking than we might have expected come january than if we'd stuck and got a settled winning side out of four two three one Um, first half really bright really energetic overwhelmed Patrick Thistle second half the game's dead the game's won easing off we do lose a bad goal Martin I I don't think we can have a discussion about that game on Wednesday and not touch on that
0: you you kind of have to I think you have to kind of you know, it deserves deserves a bit of criticism but as you say um, the game was the game was finished no we could have made we could have made all five subs at half time and I don't think it was changing anything so but you know it's a bit. It's about being professional. Um, we, weren't, we weren't going to lose that game, but you know the, the the defense and the keeper will will tell you that they would have been desperate for the clean sheet. So they'll be pissed off at that. But it was it was poor, um, and you know it was. Not, I don't think it was we're never in, we were ever in any danger of it costing us costing us the game. But you know against a against a lesser team like Park Thistle, if you're giving away daft goals like that, um, it's a worry because. You know, get better teams, better teams can and will exploit it.
1: And of course, Phil, it's the same kind of goal that we've been losing all season long.
2: Yeah, and I think it, it shows it's frustrating because it shows a real lack of concentration there. Um, that organisation has got to be better as well. You know, I I'm not sure who loses their man. If I think, the the boy just finds himself free at the back post. He kind of just just ghosts in, to the picture, and you know he's a powerful lad. So he was always going to win or have a good chance of winning the header. It is frustrating when you're seeing this pattern of just, you know, losing very similar goals over and over again. And I think it's something that, you know, the first time when we played Motherwell at Potaudry, Goodwin was quick to hold his hands up and, and say, I got that one wrong. And I think, you know, if it keeps happening over and over again, he's going to eventually need to do something about it, because, you know, we can't keep losing these goals.
1: But fortunately, people went home with a smile on their face uh, because Ryan Duncan scored a late fourth. I know we've already touched on Ryan, but I refused to move on without a little bit more discussion on this goal, Martin, because it was uh, really quite special.
0: Oh, really was. Well, you know, top, no, top corner, um, exactly what you, want, what you want to see. You know, these games are, particularly these type of games, are forgetting. I know we spoke last week and said, you know, you know, let's not mess up, no messing about, no mixing about with the mixing. Um, the the starting lineup get this game won, but you know, someone like Ryan Duncan coming into the game um, gets him. You know, I'd like to see. I've said I'd like to see him get more minutes as clearly a really good young player in there, um, and so want to see more of him. Unfortunately, as we mentioned, you know we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of wingers, so he's probably going to have to be patient. But doing something like that and showing that showing that sort of ability won't do him any harm at all. It goes just goes to show we've got another really really good you know, connor barrens getting all the praise at the moment but it goes to show we've got we've got more than one really really good you know, young attacking prospect on the books
1: duncan I, I like a lot Phil i think he's really got something about him um my concern though and there's always a concern is in league action 20 minutes so far this season that's just not enough to develop him is it because he's you know he's 18 now he really needs to be getting those minutes in um Would it be best for him, not necessarily best for the team, but best for him and his future development to to get out on loan in January?
2: A prime example here. And I suppose if you look a bit further back as well, we nearly made the same mistake with Paul. It's not giving these guys loan time and minutes. I know obviously Ryan Duncan was on loan last season, but you're right. I mean, the difference is, you know, when when Barron came into the squad, obviously he'd had his loan spell, he'd been playing regularly and then he just slotted in. Whereas, you know, Duncan's come back and he's not getting those minutes. So I think you're right. It is definitely a concern.
1: And I, I would be more secure, Martin, if I thought he was going to get time ahead of, say, Shaden Morris, or indeed Callum Roberts when he's back fit and available on the squad. But uh, history this thus far this season has told us that, no, that's not going to be the case in league matches, unless the game is completely won, like it was Livingston and Kilmarnock, the two games where he's actually seen some time.
0: Well, well, he's, he's, he's shown more than Shaden Morris has this season. So I would like to think that it, with that on... With that on Wednesday, he is at the very least level with him on the pe- in the pecking order. Um, I know that Morris has been brought in. You know is you know, one of Goodwin's boys and all that sort of stuff. But you know, he's he is going to be down the pecking order because there's obviously he's got he's got guys that he wants to play ahead of him, and that's fine. I understand you've got your starters, but you know, if he's good enough, you know, if he's good enough, give him games. And we th- we think he's good enough. We clearly do. We're both, all, everybody's big fans of him. You know the reaction he got to that goal. It's always going to get people on their feet, you know. So hopefully, hopefully, we do see more minutes from him. I would hate, I would hate to, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd like to, like to see him go out on loan for the second half of the season. Um, I mean, I know getting minutes is, is is good, but at what level is he going to go to? I mean, you know.
1: Well, he was at Peterhead last year, wasn't he? So I would expect, yeah. you know, at, at the very least, a couple of levels up from that.
0: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, you're looking at you're looking at you know a, a team at the top it. Is a team at the top end of the championship that would maybe want him, maybe part of Thistle. I don't know, um, but you'd be looking. You'd be looking at some of like that if he has. If he has to go out, if we can't accommodate him, I would like us to, to be able to accommodate him. Uh, whether that's possible, again, comes back to the comes back to the the amount of bodies we've got. We've we've got far too many in in that position.
1: Yes, one, well, I guess a nice problem to have, um, and someone making a really positive contribution and statement on Wednesday night, Ryan Duncan. Um, the semi-final draw took place immediately after that. Um, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that that was the middle of the three potential options, Phil, that we ended up with. Possibly,
2: yeah. I mean, I mean, they won't like that at all. But uh, I think it's probably it's fair from from that perspective. You know, we've we've never well barring the Scottish Cup final which obviously we know how that ended we've never really performed at Hamden against Celtic and Kilmarnock obviously that, that would have been a story in itself going back to to uh, face a McInnes team in a semi-final you know there'd be a lot of a lot written about that um, but I think Rangers it's, it's a good tie because it gets the fans excited I think it'll bring a big crowd particularly given we've been you know, taking a lot of fans on the road this season. And I mean, the last time we played them, it was fantastic. I mean, I was lucky enough to be at the game and the place just erupted when that final whistle went. It was it was a real, it was a brilliant moment. It was one of my highlights watching, watching the Dons over the past five years. So I think we're in a good place for it as well. And obviously January is a long way away, um, although maybe not that far away. Um, and given how they're playing just now, I, I don't think we should fear them.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right to point out there's two and a half months to go but between now and then. Um, a transfer window have opened again. There's a bloody World Cup to come uh, as well. So, you know, they could well have a different manager, a different squad, a different setup. Um So much can change through now and then. It's it's barely worth sort of looking ahead too much. What I will say, Martin, is that, you know, the whole kind of, oh, going to Hamden and stuff, Hamden itself, though. I mean, what a, a drag to have to go there. These games, even though... Hamden's presumably really the only stadium that can accommodate these two semi-finals because of the crowds that one half of the semi-finalists will bring. Um, They would have been better spectacles and better games at a full Tynecastle or a full Easter Road, wouldn't they? In my mind, there is no doubt about that. This fixation that Scottish football has on Hamden is pretty damaging.
0: It it is. I mean, a problem you've got with with the Easter Road and Tynecastle is that you know, they're, they would be oversubscribed, I suppose. Um,
1: Is that a bad thing? You know, Cormac wants to, with the new stadium, he talks about fewer missing out. Is that a bad thing if only, say, 10,000 Aberdeen fans can get to the game?
0: I think, it, I think it would be, well, I mean, I'm setting myself up for a fall there, obviously, because, you know, we'll probably, you know we, if I say the 10,000, then we don't sell 10,000 tickets. Um, but, you no, know, I think that, you know, undoubtedly somewhere like Tynecastle or Easter Road for a semi final would be a much more attractive pos- attractive prospect for people uh, because it because it's 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 you not know, i think they know it's a, it's they're better stadiums than, than going to Hamden to be honest i mean i've said plenty of times i've you know no real desire to go to Hamden at all but if i can get there i'm going to go um uh, and that's just, unfortunately, how it is. I mean, I just, just want to touch on there as well. I mean, I'm quite glad. You know, I think what, with the draw we've got, I'm quite glad that, that we got them. Because, um, you know, given my big talk last week um, about not wanting to talk about you know, Derek McInnes ever again, um, it would have been pretty hard for me to kind of, when we do the build-up to that game, to not mention the former manager. So um, yeah,
1: He's just signed a three-year contract at Kilmarnock. I think you'll be speaking about him again. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, but unless this mu- you know, saying you're resigning co- much,
1: from the podcast, which no, is how the moment we we're all waiting for, quite how frankly.
0: Mu- <laughs> how, how, <laughs> thanks very much. How, much how, <laughs> how as you know, how much column inches are going to be de- would have been devoted to, you know, you know tra- yeah, no, I, Derek I, at hand. I, I could have um, lived de-
1: with that. I think in a cup draw you want the weakest possible team at all times, and there's no doubt that, that you know that would have been Kilmarnock I think I would have coped with that, and I would have coped with the you know the fear of defeat perfectly fine to get that draw. <laughs> Um, It's just that, you know, the the odds of you winning it, having to go through both of them, uh, one in the semi, one in the final, I think are drastically reduced, rather than your chances in a one-off game. But that's for January and it's for the future. Um, But yeah, and it will be a day out at Hamden, he says, with as much disdain as he can muster. Um, Speaking of stadiums, um, (laughs) yeah, I, I dislike doing this. We've tried to kind of shy away from randomly talking about stadiums. The one time we did actually talk about the Kingsford Stadium was when it got planning permission. It looked like it would actually happen. Of course, we got burnt now because it's not going to happen. And that's been made pretty clear by the club this week. The pivot has been fully completed this week and it's now full-tilt, begging for public money in order to progress the stadium plan at the beach. Latest cost estimates on that for what will be a 16,000-seater stadium have gone up to £80 million. Um, Phil, um, right now, it's going to be a hard sell, isn't it, trying to get public cash to be spent on a football stadium in this current environment and that's acknowledging the fact obviously capital spend projects like this are a very different budget from the day-to-day spending.
2: Yeah, I think obviously the council have got a big decision on their hands and obviously we'll see how that unfolds when it does go before them. Um, I think, you know, we obviously, there's the, there is a good, I mean the club has set out their case and uh, it will be, be fascinating to see the sort of reception it gets across the city obviously we as fans i think the emotional pull of staying at the beach um you know regardless of what you thought of the kingsford project i think the pull of staying at the beach kind of we're all sold on it i think um that would certainly be my feeling is that the majority would get behind it and are getting behind it but i mean it, it was interesting to read the business case i think certainly um what I will say is it's, it's nice to, to hear the club and the council engaging in a positive way. And it's nice to see the council as well, recognizing the benefits that the, the football club has on the city. And, you know, we're a one team city. Yes, not everybody in, in the city who pays council tax will support Aberdeen. And that's the challenge for the club. They have to convince the council and the powers that be that this is going to be what we can all unite on, is that we want to see action on it and we want to see it quickly.
1: Yeah, um, I think those are fair points, Phil. I, I mean, what I will say is that the, the business case that's been put out is not one which is the council. It's the Chamber of Commerce and AFC that have produced that, as opposed to as opposed to the council and AFC. The council have obviously come out and said non-committal things such as funding for it as a matter for AFC at this point. We had um, an interview with Dave He did a media round and we'll speak some more in a few minutes about the other things that were brought up in the course of those conversations. But uh, on the BBC, um, he came out with um, in the States, uh, you would be seeing signs going up alongside this project, saying your tax dollars, your tax dollars at work. I thought this was slightly cringe-worthy stuff from someone who's clearly so used to the American experience where hugely, vastly, obscenely rich owners of sports teams are addicted to getting public money to build their expensive new stadia.
0: I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I think everybody everybody that saw that, uh, whether you're an Aberdeen fan or not, kind of cringed when he said it. I mean, I, we, I know what he means, but I thought it was a bit of a silly thing to say, um, because in America, these teams, you know, they they get the council to build them a stadium, or or they say, we're moving to Vegas, or we're moving to this other city. Yeah, or, franchise model, to... exactly. Yeah, it's um, it, and that's why they can do that, or they can say, no, if you if you don't upgrade our stadium or move us to a new stadium, um, we're out of here. Well, you know, Scottish football is and touch wood will never work like that. Um, so I was a bit I was a bit embarrassed seeing seeing them up with that. I mean. You, you knew that was you knew that was going to be the clip that was that was cherry picked and you know it obviously it did the rounds on twitter quite rightly because you should have never said that i mean it was a bit it is a bit silly i mean i just want i just wonder you know he's he's obviously looking at the he's obviously looking at the council to be putting an investment in i mean the only the only way i can see the council ponying up you know say half let's say half the money just for the sake of argument i know i have not is what forty million. The only way I can see that happening is if it's if it's a proper community stadium or something like that where the council has, you know, full Monday to Friday access, it becomes you know some sort of you know some sort of hub for whether you're having you know, whether you're sending kids there and you're doing all this kind of stuff or do you it's be some, okay with that? To be honest, I, I'd be honest, it's like what happens what happens in the stadium, you know, out with out with when there's matches on. Um I don't, I don't particularly care to be honest. Um I think that you know, there'll be there, there'll be reasons for that whether it's something, whether that's done through the community trust which I think I've got a sneaking suspicion that's possibly how it'll happen um, given that the community trust are the unaffiliated charity wing of the football club um but I mean yeah I just I just can't see where where the where the councillor is going to, the council is gonna hand over 40 million quid there's absolutely no way that's happening uh, so there's gonna they're they're also going to want something back and if it becomes you know the, in a, for lack of a better term a community stadium um I think that's the only way we're getting any any real money out of them
1: Look, Phil as you, as you said earlier I think everyone is hundred percent agreed it's a better location clearly it's a better location it could not possibly be a worse location than Kingsford. But how do we trust as fans an organisation that told us until it was blue in the face that co-location was the best option for the club and, that, and in fact got every single other SPFL club at the time to write letters to the planning committee confirming that that option would be their favourite option if they could start from scratch? How do we how do we accept this rather stunning turnaround in, in, in what the club's PR is now saying. You know, how do we how do we accept the sort of numbers which are now being puffed up to show fourteen point three million gross value added per year whereas Kingsford numbers were eight point five million per year. So it's almost doubled in six years. I mean that's that's impressive.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a tough one isn't it? Um I mean co location was I mean that was something that McInnes spoke about a lot when he was in charge. It was something he clearly felt very passionate about and you know we don't know the full scale of, of the, the impact and the influence that he had on on the case for Kingsford I think it was clear that he he had quite a good role in it um he and Milne worked very well together they had the same vision and you know obviously uh, you know now that Dave Cormack is in charge he is now building his own case in in many ways and um you know he's been very clear the club has been in listening mode um and that's you know the, the council have kind of. To a large degree taking the lead on it obviously with the the beach renovation project and i guess on that issue of trust it's it's something i think the fans have, have just got to we've got to look at both both sides both cases and just try and i suppose just have faith have faith in the vision you know and, and i think we we'll, what we can all agree on is that you know the sooner that this gets moving the better you know we're either the either the beach case is is made and it's the most convincing case and the plans get underway and i think as well just for the health of the city as well you know i think we all you know beyond football we want to see a healthy aberdeen and you know we want these projects to get moving and we want to see improvements and and if this is judged to be the best case and it's and it's what the fans want and the council believe it's in the best interest for them then we want to see action on it and we want to see it going
1: um forgive my usual skepticism martin here but it, it's not happening is it i mean they've had planning permission for two sites now kingsford and loriston and that's you can ignore the the sort of uh deliberate misdirection on loriston which claims it was down to additional planning permission not granted they had the planning permission but didn't have the money at the time to get started uh, so two sites two planning permissions and they've let both of these lapse they don't have the cash they're unlikely to have the cash is this going to be any different?
0: Um, I'd, I'd struggle to see it going ahead. I no I've seen obviously the, the sort of the artist's impressions of how they want to do it as well, do it and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would, I, I, am not not too sure. I don't think, I don't think this one will, this one will go ahead either. I mean, it's it's probably it's no, it's by far the best location so far that they've identified. Um, but um, I still, I, I still can't see it going ahead no, until. And this is the this is the attitude that you and I have taken since the very start of this, doing this podcast. Is fine, okay, but tell us where the money's coming from first. Um, and until they have, you know, they can have all the plan and permission in the world. Until it can be paid for, um, it's 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 not going to happen. Um, and that's just that's just as simple as it goes. I mean, I don't think you know. Well, put it this way, Richard. Here's a, here's a question for you both. Actually, will we be celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of Gothenburg at pitadri
2: near as I thought I mean my, my gut my gut would say yes
1: yeah and that might depress some people um, but again on Petaudry we've been we've been sold a lot of nonsense about you know it's not going to be fit for European games it's going to crumble into the ground it's going to you know this stand the next stand isn't going to be fit for purpose in 5-10 years um, and these were all things which were told to us 10-15 years ago at the start of this whole charade and I am at a point where I am deeply sceptical about this project moving forward. I thought there was a window of opportunity immediately after Kingsford got planning permission and obviously Dave Cormack coming in and helping fund the training ground and I thought the wood might be a window there but they've let that lapse and now costs have rocketed and you could argue that the the initial cost estimates for Kingsford were We're probably slightly uh, on the low side. 80 million strikes me as probably a bit more realistic for a brand new stadium build Um, and it it just looks very, very difficult for them to be able to pull together that sort of capital, Um, you know, even with a contribution, which, you know, if you argue it's going to be 50 percent from from another source, even the club trying to get together 40 million seems unlikely at this point. Although clearly a lot easier to do than 80. just yeah, I can't see us talking again on this podcast about the stadium for another couple of years, um, because until something concrete happens, it, it's just it's just fantasy at this well, point in time.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's it's it, it, it just at the moment, you know, it does seem to be fantasy, and it's you know one of the reasons we were we were told about you know having a pitodry is you know the lack of space in Pataudry. Um Well. You want, if you if they want more space, there's a building just been demolished across the road from Petaudry that they could have bought that you know, much like the, the lumber yard 30 years ago or whatever it was, much like the gas works 30 years ago that they could have bought but they, they chose not to. You no, know, the Broadhill Bar has just been flattened. Buy, buy that patch of land. Put, build, put a building there with all the office space you need down there as well. But I think that the, the club are so, or perhaps it, maybe it's just Dave Cormack, is so focused on getting this new stadium up and running that there's just absolutely no thought being given to what do we need right now
1: well of course that that's the thing that we're living with and have lived with ever since Stuart Millen came into the building isn't it that there's been no thought of spending any significant money on pedagogy whatsoever so that 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 in itself has been the place where we go every couple of weeks to us, our club has been left to, you know, it's in a situation of managed decline, basically, partly to bolster the case for moving, which is pretty disgraceful if you think
0: about it. But yeah, I mean, you look at like um, when, back when Ali Proctor was in charge of like the community trust, he was saying, oh, my office is a, is a main stand box. And we're using that day to day, you know, and telling us it's not acceptable. Okay, well, again, right across the road, Build your offices. You no, know, do you want to do that? No, but we've done it for so long. And how many how many times are the are the club just going to ignore what is right around the stadium that they could they could invest could invest in? Instead, we're gonna to, we're told that you know fallen to pieces and we can't do this and we can't do that. But you no, know, they drip feed this information out. They don't tell us all the reasons why, and that's what I think. That's what really frustrates me and why I get so pissed off about it. It's like if if we can't stay, fine. But tell us all the reasons why. In a wonder. don't drip feed out. Oh, but this. Oh, but this. Oh, but this. No, the stadium could be improved. There's no question of that.
1: Maybe the plan is to crowdfund it Martin. maybe it's he'll uh, get everyone to buy him a coffee, and that'll be uh, that'll be it. Richards. <laughs> Richards. <funded>. Um, <laughs> Richard. So Dave Carmack obviously did uh, a whole interview round. Um, Four million pound loss estimated for twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. When those. Um, Final reports come out um, probably next month Um, in a season with managerial change, obviously Phil, which is expensive um, and a number of restricted attendances, particularly at the start of the season, um, definitely impacting on corporate gates as well. Um, And there's also the six or seven million pounds, which they uh, took in in player sales in the summer, which won't be in the 2021-2022 accounts. Uh, the speculate to cum- accumulate ever is very much back. He, in fact, used those words. Um, this time, though, it's, it's to <laughs> to compete with Hearts and Hibs, which is not quite the bold claims we were getting 20 years ago.
2: No, uh, possibly not. But I suppose, you know, obviously changing manager, as you said, it's, it's an expensive business. And I think, you know, just reading some of the quotes from, from the interviews uh, in the press and journal, Cormac saying, or seeming to indicate he would he would cover the loss. I think that's certainly, you know, fair for, you know, sacking a a manager. I think, you know, that's not an unrealistic uh expectation that, you know, if if Cormac decided that Stephen Glass was was his guy, then, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, then yes, I think the fans maybe could expect covering the cost of uh, paying off his contract, then that's fair. Um in terms of, you know, the other costs, we are still or we were still in a position where we were looking at how, you know, how are we going to get out of COVID and how are we going to get back to normal? And and fortunately, you know, we've seen a lot, you know, closer, you know, normal crowds back. So I think we can rest easy knowing that we've got that transfer money, you know, coming through. And I think, you know, even just looking from, you know, a playing perspective, you know, we've seen on the field in the last few games, we've got a lot of sellable assets out there. So I suppose it's not too much of a worry from, from a fan's perspective, but you know, you're right, I mean, we do need to show that ambition and um, I, I guess it's it's on one hand, you know, you have to be realistic and go, well, yes, you know, we are competing with Hearts and Hibs for the European places. That's the, the priority in the short term, but also the fans will want to hear, well, what's beyond that? Are we just going to settle for third place every every season and, and European football or do we want to go further? And the fans will have to make a decision on that themselves, I guess.
1: Yeah, and you know we talked to ourselves dry talking about this Martin last year, but group stage football is guaranteed for either third in the league or the Scottish Cup winner for next season, and it's more than probable for the next two seasons at least after that. Um, perhaps beyond that, given this season's European displays, it's perhaps uh, I wouldn't be banking on it, but um, it's still, as we've seen with Hearts this year, a significant windfall
0: oh definitely it's no it's it's the carrot that we all well that's we've your been, four
1: million loss basically isn't
0: it? it is yeah there is i mean that's it i mean we've been we've, it's the carrot we've been chasing for so long and not been able to get it you know the kick in the teeth was obviously the the, the performance last season and it's not getting there so it it's it's vital now um when it, when it guarantees you that group stage football that's that, that those six games um it's you know well, the club, the club have to have to get there, um, really do. I mean, I think you know Cormac is probably willing to will eat eat the kind of shortfall once um, it happens twice. He's probably going to, there's going to be you know people people will be getting sold um, and we'll be seeing you no know, maybe cuts cuts to things like the playing budget. You no, know, I would like, I hope not, but um, you know, seeing hearts, you know, seeing hearts getting in that. In the group stage, like that, and you know the money they're getting. Okay, they've they've had some spankings, and we've all had a good laugh at it. But they're bringing in they're bringing in the cash, um, and that's what's that's really frustrating. Um,
1: the um, the other point of interest, Phil, I think, is um, from those conversations. We're, we're about Connor Barron's contract situation, um, and I think that has to be a degree of concern. I think the contract offers put to him in the summer, um, he's got. Uh, well, he'll be coming up to eighteen months left um, on his deal. Um, it would seem, reading between the lines, that he is likely to move on, which would be a, a big disappointment, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if that is the case, then the club have got to make the decision. You know, when is the best time to move him on? You know, if, if we're looking at, you know, the summer next year, and it's clear that, you know, nothing's. Going to be signed, and the player will leave at the end of the season. Then I think the priority has to be: well, how do we get as much for him as as possible? Um, obviously, one year on the deal, we're not going to get the sort of money that we saw for for Calvin Ramsey, but you know, given this, how the, our club works right now with recruitment, I think it's fair to say that we're probably already planning for the outcome that he does leave, and you know, replacements will be. Being looked at already, so I have faith that if unfortunately he does move on, and I hope he doesn't because he's a wonderful talent. But if he does go, then we have confidence in the system that we'll get somebody in who can, who can do a good job and replace him.
1: Well, moving on from that potential bad news, uh, let's talk about Mother Ball on Saturday, which was good news for a change for an away game. Um, let's get this out of the way. First off, Martin, the obligatory chat on VAR, which was oh, introduced on to. Friday night. Uh, surprise, surprise. The very first thing that VAR did was to uh, call Martin Boyle a cheat. Um, so no surprises there. Um, for AFC on Saturday, it was a gentle and pretty positive introduction. Um, it did what it was meant to do. It got the correct decisions.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm to start talking about this stuff, but okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it got it, it like the decisions were right which is fair enough, you know. The goal that was the goal that was given for us, the goal that was chalked off, you no know, they were right and you know, was, this is what we've wanted for wanted for a long time. We we've not wanted VAR but we've wanted the you know, the rest just to get get it right. If it's going to help him then brilliant. You no, know, th- there will be there will be teething problems, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's you know, it was probably t- it probably took them too long to get to the decisions, but it was for some of those guys. It was their first first chance working on it live. So be- benefit of the doubt for the officials and all that kind of stuff. Um, if they start, if they can get the affi- decisions right in our games, then you know that's all that, that's all that matters. You know, I mean, I'm not going to tie ourselves myself up in knots talking about the decisions. Some of the other games that were were questionable at best, but um, for as far as we're concerned, as far as I'm concerned, no, it got it got the the main decision absolutely spot on. Um, and we're not sitting here instead whining about an offside goal given against us that wasn't offside.
1: Yeah, I, and very much th- that was how it was kind of sold to us right before we saw the living examples, particularly down south, uh, Phil. Um, it was a way of making sure we got correct decisions and it didn't try in our game. Again, we're not here to talk about the other games. Other podcasts can talk about those. In our game, there wasn't much in the way of trying to micromanage the game.
2: No, Um It was, it was used in the right places. Let's put it that way. Um, It was quite weird that sort of pause after I think particularly after Duke's goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the one
2: that obviously the header in the second half. It was it was odd, sort of just waiting. I was like, well, what needs cleared here? You know, if if anything, you know, if it was possibly a penalty against Mackenzie if he'd have gone down. Um, But I'm probably I'm maybe digressing a bit there. It was um, it was used in the right places and uh, and Martin was absolutely right. You know that would have been a travesty for many reasons had Miovskys goal been been ruled offside, given that he was miles on, and the finish was just spectacular. So I am um, I on the whole would say we had a positive experience with VAR first time round, um, and it's it's doing the job properly. And if that's what we've got to look forward to for you know games to come then then that's fine um i suppose in, in a way it does kind of and i think we've seen this in particular with the english games it does remove that sort of you know you can't just go absolutely crazy when when a goal goes in because you just think well okay we're gonna have the VAR check so it's almost yes. like every celebration but, is slightly subdued. And there's gonna
1: be more goals I suppose because you know for example that Miofsky one the flag would have gone off as soon as he'd went through and he wouldn't even we wouldn't even have seen the finish so you know there's gonna be more examples of me tweeting out goal and then having to rescind that <laughs> almost immediately and you know similarly in the ground you know, you have that elation, and you see the flag, and then I suppose, in a sort of weird way, you have that kind of second celebration as well, don't you?
2: Yeah, and the tension. It was. It was. It was nice in a way because you know it was. It was to decide. It wasn't like we were looking at a Motherwell goal and we were thinking, "Oh man, this please, 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 let this not stand." It was. Um, it. There was a happy end to it, so that was nice. But it was very, very strange not seeing. Because obviously you watch the, the English games on the television and you see the decision being made, you know, you see the different angles and the lines coming out sometimes if if needs be. Um, it was very strange and quite tricky not seeing what the people in the control room were seeing. I didn't like that side of it, but, you know, what can you do?
1: Martin, I'd spoken, we've spoken before on this show about needing a result of substance, something to get behind a statement win, if you will. Um... And I I felt yesterday was as close as we've come to it. Um, Although, we have to bear in mind that Motherwell had only won one of their five home games in a league prior to yesterday, but we'll gloss over that. It's not a statement to the rest of the league. The rest of the league will look at Aberdeen going to Motherwell and thinking, yeah, that's exactly what you should be doing. And they're right. That is exactly what we should be doing. But it is, I think, a message to the Aberdeen support that this team might actually be in the right path.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean... (laughs) One, th- one thing I suppose you could you could say to that um, to that Motherwell start as well is that you know they would they would look at our record and say well here's a chance for us to get back on back on back into home winning ways um, because we've been you know so atrocious away from home but yeah this it, is this is exactly what, what this is exactly the tonic we needed you know and I think that everybody you know on the final whistle yesterday. I think we all thought, right? Okay, no, that's, that's three wins in a week. You know, you know, into the next, you know, two two league wins and into the next round of the cup. You know, that's you, know, you can't they can't do more. Um, and so you look at that and you have to think, yeah, that we're on an upward, we're definitely on an upward trajectory. Um, there's a lot to be positive about the team. You, you look at. You look at how we've been how we've been playing. We've played some good football. Yeah, there's a def- there's still some defensive issues, of course. But we've been playing we've been playing good stuff. You're playing we're playing good stuff, and you're winning games. Um, I think there's every every right to be to be positive and to look at the team and you know see see you can look forward and you can look at the list of games coming up, and you can say that you, know, you can see where there's like there's some good the good chances to know we're third in the league. There's every reason to say we could stay there.
1: Yeah. Um. Listen, it was it was not straightforward. That yeah. would be wrong to suggest that. Uh, and Phil, I think it's almost a better one because we did have that sticky phase. We did have that period where we were looking second best after Motherwell equalised. And I suppose we were slightly fortunate that we actually had Kevin Van Veen on an off day. Actually, calling it an off day is a lie, isn't it? He just had a day in which he reverted back to his mean. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to be fair, I, I said it at the start of the, the show. I, I think the reason he had an off day was because Anthony Stewart was, was excellent. Um, he played him really well. He was rough, but he was fair. And on the whole, I mean, other than that one that one chance where he just sort of slices it straight across goal, you know, he round, essentially rounds Roos. Um, it was, a, yeah, that was a, a hairy moment, but I think, you know, kudos, all, all the credit has to go to Anthony Stewart. I thought he was brilliant, and um, yeah, I must say it was uh, it was nice to walk away from a Motherwell game, having not seen him celebrate in front of us and give it a big one.
1: <laughs> You're being very kind to Kelly Roos there, giving it uh, saying that he just rounded him as opposed to being presented with the ball by Kelly Roos. Um oh. It was two very good finishes as well. Uh, we didn't create a huge amount of chances, um, but uh, Boyan Miowski and Luis Lopez both uh, both. Reinforced what we've seen thus far this season, and did it in a game where they weren't getting a heap of chances. It's been 2016-17 since we had more than one striker get a ten-goal, get into double figures for the season. We're still in October, and you've got Miowski on nine and Lopez on seven, and that's not even really hugely bolstered by those league cup knockabouts either. I think Miovski got one uh, in those ties, and Lopez didn't score any. So actually having Proper threats up front, Martin. It's been a while.
0: It has because we've, we've the last, you know, the last few seasons we've relied on one guy. We've relied on Ramirez um, or Lewis Ferguson on penalties, obviously. Um, or you know, before that it was it was Big Sam. So it's nice to have have you know another someone else chipping in with with the goals here and there. It takes a takes the worry away as well. Um, you no, know, yes, they'll link up. The link linking link up together is, is obviously good, um, but you, know, the, you don't you don't necessarily have that worry of if one of them perhaps if one of them gets hurt and has to miss a game or whatever, the other one's still doing well, um, and that's you know that's invalu- that's invaluable for, for a team like us as well. Um, you know we've got we've got options, but if we've got more than one one person who's you know given us the goals and then. It's it's again. It's a lot. It's so much to be positive, positive about. You know, and again, like you say, like you said yesterday, we didn't create a hell of a lot. You know, we weren't, we weren't rattling, you no know, rattling chances at their keeper, but it's you no. Know, I mean, Miofsky is. I think you know, the, the finish was great from him. The so was so was Lopez as well. You no, know, when you get one or two chances a game and you can take them, um, you you we can't really complain, um, and yeah, just. The fact that they're probably they're probably both not probably it's not highly likely they won't both finish with above ten goals each with ten goals each, um, it's going look it's looking fantastic for us going forward um, for the rest of the season.
1: And I think you know more broadly the numbers are, are really encouraging. Still quite early in the season, just eleven league games, but you know we are scoring. Two and a half goals per game across all competitions, which is double what we were doing last year, uh, and two per game in the league. Again, just more than we've had, even more than we had in 2016-17. I very much doubt we'll keep that going to the end of the season, quite frankly. But it's it it is night and day. We're we're still conceding way too many goals, but. We are scoring. People like to come and watch a team that's scoring. And certainly Boutoudry was scoring a lot of goals as well. It's been the away form, and I think that's why Saturday, again, just an important win for a number of reasons. One, a tight game, one away from home at a venue where we've had a lot of bad memories over the couple of years. Yeah, there might, there might be something to properly believe in here this season, uh, and it's been a, a big week with regards to that.
0: Yeah, Arlen Russell's set-piece dawns are a distant memory, aren't they?
1: <laughs> well, I just think if we were any good at set-pieces as well, how, how much fewer goals would we concede to kick off? Getting back in the building. Um, now, uh, chucking a new feature into the mix when you're seven years into a successful run. <laughs> I say successful, only in that people don't lob things at us in the street. Uh, not that we reckon we're any good. It's a risky move, but it's what I'm about to do now. Um, we're going to build this show by show, week by week, and it's going to be a list of the people, places, noises, smells, moments and things about AFC that make our collective heart sore at the very mention of them. Down the line we'll be asking some of our guests to contribute to and we'll build a definitive list of what we're going to call, purely because I haven't had any better ideas, but I am open to suggestions, our Northern Lights. Now our first Northern Light is selected with an eye on Saturday's fixture. It's going to be Ian Jess's goal at Ibrox in November 1995. Now, due to the weaponisation of archive footage on social media, a weaponisation of which we're very much to blame, so apologies, uh, you'll have seen this goal so many times that it should be burned onto your retinas by now. But let me talk you through it anyway. It's a drizzly Glasgow afternoon. Is it any other kind? And a ruddy faced Alan McLaren gets ready to launch a free kick from beside his own corner flag as high and as far as he can. It comes down almost exactly on the halfway line. Ian Ferguson and Ian Jess are the players in place to contest the ball. But Ferguson typically has misjudged the flight, while Jess is in the perfect position. His touch not only gives him position and forward momentum, but it's smart enough to take Ferguson completely out of the game. Now seeing the space in front of him that's been vacated by Ferguson and a similarly static Stuart McCall, he takes a bold second touch into that space. He looks up. He sees Booth and Dodds peeling out wide. Yep, they're giving him options, but it's also meaning that the centre-halves can't immediately come out and engage him. His third touch puts the ball in a perfect position for his right foot, and it makes up his mind for him. His fourth touch, dead centre, 30 yards from goal. It's so pure and so true that it's beyond Billy Thompson before he can even really react. Not in the absolute top corner, but it didn't need to be. Still rising as it hit the net, It would have bothered the plane circling Glasgow Airport if it weren't for the netting. And of course, what makes it even better is that it was in front of the travelling support back in the day when we went all shepherded into that pathetic corner of the ground. Bodies spill out onto the track in a mixture of joy and disbelief. And further up the stand, it's a hugging strangers moment. Jess has produced a moment that even then, those of us there knew we'd be boring others with 30 years later. So there it is, our first Northern Light, Ian Jess at Ibrox on November the 11th, 1995. Now Phil, Aberdeen at Ibrox on October the 29th, 2022. How's that one going to go?
2: Well, can I just say, that was beautiful. Well, oh, thank done. you. That was excellent. Um, yeah, kind of whets the appetite for what well, could be a really competitive game. Um, I mean, they're not in the best of form just now. Uh, we've had some good results at Ibrox in you know the recent history so you know if if we're going into it as the foreign team that's you know unusual but very pleasant let's say and it would go a long way to uh to building on this uh this nice run that we're having off the back of the united tobacco so fingers crossed uh let's see what happens i think it'll be it'll be a real indication of um sort of how jim goodwin approaches these games obviously we went to celtic park on the opening day um, there wasn't I mean I don't have that line up in front of me but I don't remember there being major a major shift in terms of how we have been playing so if he sticks with the the three five two formation and the personnel in there then then that will be interesting clearly he'll he'll fancy us uh, going into the game uh, based on the form and I think we've as we've been talking about we found that system that you know, let's give it a go against uh, some of the better teams out there in the league. No disrespect to the others that we've played.
1: Yeah, Martin, I think this will be an interesting one. Um, the tactics behind this, whether he does stick with the with the two up top in particular or whether it's going to be... I think that Celtic game was much more about um, one man up front trying to stay behind the ball and trying to break quickly when we get the opportunity. And that's how you know the one golden opportunity that we had in that game from Johnny Hayes came about. Um, obviously things aren't going great down down Ibrox's way, and what a difference a couple of weeks can make to Aberdeen. Because I've got to be honest, coming out of that game uh, at Tannadice, you look ahead to, to the month ahead, and you're thinking this could go badly wrong quite quickly. But now we're going into this game on Saturday, fancying our chances a little bit.
0: Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you look at you look at how they've been lately. It's you no, know, it's it's always great to see them getting a couple of spankings in Europe. Um, you know they're they're going in, they're, they've got Napoli on Wednesday can't see anything different happening there you know you look you look at their game list up past Saturday you know they got a very very kind you know um, red card with what fifteen minutes to go that, that you no know, that basically just meant that they laid siege to to the Livingston goal for the end of the game and uh, of course they got they got they, they of course they managed to then get themselves an equaliser. Um, but I think we should be going there with, with the tails up. You know, I, he's not—he's not, he's not going to go out you know, all, no no all-out attack. I don't think. I think he will try and maybe maybe you no know, sit deep begin at the beginning of the game. You no know, try to count that counter. But you—you know, you, you need to be able to get to them. Um, and have we've said this a lot about that about that team and you know they some of their players are, you know, on the decline. You know, you know they're getting a lot of criticism for the fans. And the fans have turned on, t- turned on the manager. They've turned on a lot of the players. They've turned on their, turned on the recruitment team. There's a lot going wrong. There's a lot going wrong down that way, and it's lovely to see. And I think that you know we could, we should be looking to take advantage of that as well. Now it will come down to just the guys on the pitch. You know, it doesn't matter who you know what the staff are, you know, behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But you look at the way the way they are at the moment. Pressure they're under at the moment, um, it it doesn't seem like they're coping very well. Whereas we're and we're you know, we're playing playing pr- pretty well, you know, scoring scoring some goals. Um, I think we've got every every reason to go there with the tails up, and uh, think like we can get a positive result.
1: We've also got a clear week, Phil. Um, I'd rather not be having a clear week, clearly. I'd rather be playing in Europe. But they are playing in Europe.
0: It'd be nice
2: if we faced Napoli, wouldn't it? It it would. Maybe in in seasons to come.
1: (laughs) I suspect we've probably come out of there with a slightly less heavy humping as the way things have progressed. (laughs) Um, But again, that really should give us a whole week, a whole clear week ahead. They've got to go to Napoli. Things aren't going great down there. We know that that crowd can get on the, the home side's back it can be fifteen minutes in, and that that crowd can be on their back.
2: Yeah, and you know they'll be nervous going into that game. Um, I mean, clearly there's there's a lot of division over whether uh, Van Bronckhorst should stay in the job. So it'll be an interesting week to see if there's any movement on that front. I think um, you know, regardless of who's in in the dugout, whether it's him or or somebody else, I think you know they'll be looking for a response to. You know the the disappointment of the livingston game and the the sort of the near miss against dundee so in that sense you know are they gonna go into it with with a point to prove i think they they certainly will and they can't afford to you know keep losing ground in the in the, the title race that they they are currently in so we will have to be wary but at the same time you know i think we clearly you know there's a good Certainly there's a good feel about the the club and the team just now. I mean at full time yesterday, you felt that real that bond that connection that the players have with each other and with the fans at the moment and and we have to harness that we have to use that as our strength going into the game and and know that you know you don't go into it for a draw, but even if we took a point from there that's that's another another big you know statement and a big improvement that we can go to these difficult venues and compete and you know, wouldn't it be nice to come away with three points, particularly you know, given the run we're on to keep that going, and you know, given that Hearts and and Hibs have uh, have slipped behind us, it'd be lovely to to keep that push going and uh, and get closer to them as well.
1: Yeah, it's probably a little bit too much to ask, Martin, but um, it would put us within striking distance, um, at least of second place. And uh, you know, we have seen before if one of those sides at the top. Uh, falls behind early, they can end up being miles behind and they can can end up really stumbling. And, um, you know, there's maybe a kind of once of a, you know, once uh, I'm talking about a situation where obviously those sides are being funded to a tune of 10 times the, t- uh, the the size of Aberdeen's funding. Um, it's probably a once in a decade opportunity to, to kind of maybe overreach them, overtake them if your season goes well. So, you know, all these things could open up, if we can prove ourselves up to it on Saturday.
0: Oh, absolutely could. That's why you know. I, I think you're absolutely right there to say you know a point. A point wouldn't be terrible because um, maybe I'm just being overly ambitious and getting ahead, getting ahead of myself. But it, what it means is if they don't, if they don't manage to you know to extend their extend their lead on us, then that's fine. I mean I know we're what is it? I think we're seven behind them at the moment. I think it is. Um, but you want to keep in you want to keep in touch with the teams at the top of the table. You know you want to get clear of you know St Mirren and fourth, Um and you want uh, you want to try and keep you know keep in touch with them as long as you can and hang on. And like you say, if Celtic you know keep going the way they're going, just seem to be grinding out and winning games. You know that's you know that that would be good for that, us if the, the mess that they're in the Rangers are in at the moment. If we can just put a run together they can they can stumble because the way they are they're a sh- they are there are a shambles at the moment so you know i i think that you know perhaps you, know, you might people might might accuse me of you know it might be a bit of a pipe dream well it might be but you've got to be positive and you know Aberdeen should be looking up the table
1: Oh, how things changed from a couple of weeks ago. um oh, yeah. After Dundee United. Um, and uh, dare say there was a possibility again, obviously, that come Saturday evening we could be sitting sixth again. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, perhaps uh, just enjoy this moment whilst we can, folks. Just enjoy this little ray of sunshine um, and uh, hold on to it and cling on to it for the next seven days uh, and enjoy whatever humiliation might come the way of uh, Saturday's opponents on Wednesday night. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, Phil McDonald. Phil, thank you. Thank you very much. And to Martin Cleaners, Thanks, Martin.
0: Thanks, Richards.
1: We'll be back next week after our encounter at Ibrox. And until then, come on, you vets.